This is The Guardian. Today, the story of a rainforest and a country and what's at stake at this weekend's Brazilian elections. So a few weeks ago, I was invited to go on a flyover of the Amazon by an environmental group. And we set off from an airstrip in a river town right at the heart of the Amazon. Tom Phillips covers Latin America for The Guardian. And flying over the Amazon actually is one of the greatest privileges. It's, a, it's a, an incredible sort of humbling experience. You fly over this absolutely immense forest. I think it's something that everybody should try and do at least once in their lives. This vast wonder of nature that just goes on and on and you could fly for hours and hours and hours just seeing rivers and trees. This crucially important ecosystem that just seems to have no end. But actually, we were there not to marvel at the wonders of this region, but to, to, to pay witness to something extraordinarily troubling which is happening at the moment, which is that as the clock runs down, or seems to run down on Jair Bolsonaro's presidency, a huge explosion of wrecking and deforestation is underway down below in the forests and on the rivers as people seek to cash in on the rainforest before a new president is elected who might crack down on what they're doing. After a couple of hours, we came to an indigenous territory which is home to the Munduruku people. And that was one of the most devastating things I think I've ever seen. We crossed over a river which demarcated the eastern flank of the indigenous land where no mining should be taking place, no large-scale deforestation, and immediately started seeing these vast, brown, muddy stains, huge, huge areas um, that had just been cut into the forest that belonged to the indigenous people, the Mundurukus. And the environmentalist sat next to me, Honi Lira, told me that in more than 15 years monitoring the region, he had never seen such huge areas being destroyed. He said that loggers and ranchers down below had realised it was their last opportunity to chop down the Amazon without having to pay the price. And he said, uh, I remember, he said in Portuguese, Para eles é, é ou é agora ou é agora, which means either they do it now or they do it now. This weekend, tens of millions of Brazilians will vote for their next president after four chaotic years under the far-right leader Jair Bolsonaro, who's running again. It's an election with huge consequences, both for people in Brazil and anyone, with a stake in ending what Bolsonaro's unleashed in the world's most important rainforest, while it's still possible. From The Guardian, I'm Michael Safi. Today in Focus, is this week's election in Brazil the last chance to save the Amazon? Tom, way back in 2018, when Jair Bolsonaro was running to be president of Brazil, 
how did he talk about the Amazon? I met Bolsonaro for the first time actually in the Amazon during the 2018 campaign. And I asked him what the first thing he would do if he was elected president would be. And his answer was almost entirely about the Amazon. He went off on this long rant against meddling environmentalists and foreigners. He said this cowardly business of international NGOs like WWF and other people from England sticking their noses into Brazil, this is going to come to an end. This tomfoolery stops right here. I mean, he was really incensed and he was absolutely clear that under his future government, which back then we thought was pretty unlikely, actually, but that under his government, he would stand on the side of those seeking to destroy and cash in on the Amazon rainforest and not those indigenous people who live there or the environmentalists trying to protect it. It's a fallacy to say that the Amazon is the heritage of humankind. And it's a misconception, as scientists have confirmed, to say the Amazon rainforest is the lungs of the planet. Hmm. And he did actually win the election, contrary to what a lot of people believed or hoped would happen. In power, what kinds of policies did he start rolling out about the Amazon? When we published our story about Bolsonaro before the election, uh, and the headline contained, contained the word dangerous, one of his sons wrote me a WhatsApp message and said, and, and said how outrageous it was that we would dare to call his dad dangerous. But actually, on the Amazon and in many other areas, his policies have proven just that for the forest. Beyond his anti-environmental rhetoric, two of the most significant and damaging things that he did uh, was actively enfeebling the Environmental Protection Agency, Obama, and the Indigenous Agency, FUNAI, stripping back the protections, cutting budgets, putting people in positions of power who had no interest in protecting the environment or protecting the indigenous populations of Brazil and actively working against all of those who were seeking to protect uh, the rainforest itself and those people who live there. So, uh, and that has caused extraordinary damage. Brazilian officials have told the BBC that there's been an aggressive increase in deforestation since the election of President Bolsonaro in January. An area of Amazon rainforest roughly the size of a football pitch is now being cleared every minute. We've seen deforestation soar massively over the last three, four years to the extent that something like 31,000 square kilometres of rainforest have been destroyed since he took office in January 2019. That's an area about 20 times the size of Greater London, huge, huge area. Every year, something like 8,000 more than 8,000 kilometres being lost or five Greater Londons. God, that is just a stunning amount of damage. Tom, you've been visiting the Amazon for a couple of decades now. You first went in 2005 and you visited several times over the last few years as a journalist. How have you been seeing the impact of Bolsonaro's policies playing out on the ground? I remember in the first year of Bolsonaro's government, I went up to the Amazon to report on indigenous communities and how they felt about the prospect of his presidency. And I went to the Javari region, um, and which is a sprawling indigenous territory in Amazon estate, and spoke with leaders there, indigenous leaders. And one of them said to me, Bolsonaro is no good, he wants to destroy us. One of them even said he thought Bolsonaro might bomb their villages because he was so hostile to indigenous rights. They were really worried about the coming storm. They knew what was coming down the line. And three years later, here we are, and almost everything that they warned of has come to pass. Mm. And I mean, how have, how have you seen that danger yourself develop over the past few years? Like, what is it that tells you they were so right when they said that? 
after that reporting trip, and in fact, whilst that reporting trip was taking place, the number of invasions of indigenous lands was skyrocketing. The number of gold miners pouring into these territories like the Yanomami territory, where there are now tens of thousands of miners at work, was on the rise. It was already, the process was already happening. A Wawao are a tiny band of just 120 indigenous people in the Amazon rainforest. Today their future hangs in the balance. They're making an ink that's used as a war paint. They feel the new government of Brazil is against them and that they have to be on guard. And now looking back when we look at the statistics and the numbers and the data, we can see how true it was and the number of people who have been killed or attacked. And when we look back and we see the death of our colleague Dom Phillips, who was in exactly the same region that I was in 2019 on that first trip. That was exactly where Dom was killed. Dom Phillips was a very fine journalist who'd been based in Brazil for 15 years. But he really came into his own, I think, in the last five years when he turned his attention to environmental issues, and in particular, the rainforest, the Amazon. The desperate search for an indigenous rights advocate and renowned journalist in a remote area of the Amazon in Brazil has apparently come to a grim conclusion. Bruno Payera and Dom Phillips, who is a Briton, disappeared 10 days ago. Now there are murder suspects in custody and there are still more questions than answers. Looking back, we can see really the dangers and the damage that was done and how everything that those indigenous leaders predicted back in 2019 came to pass. Tom, it's it's difficult to look at what's been done to, to the Amazon and think that it could be in anybody's interest. But I want to understand, I mean, who is actually profiting from the kinds of, of policies that Bolsonaro's put in place? Huge, huge amounts of money are being made from the destruction of the Amazon. And, and that has been the case long before Bolsonaro. But one of the groups that he has most encouraged and which has most benefited from his policies are illegal gold miners. And illegal gold miners are not the impoverished men who are down there in the mud, risking life and limb to, to, to claw these nuggets of gold out of the, the soils of the Amazon. They are massively wealthy, influential um, business people and often politicians in the Amazon who own fleets of planes and helicopters and boats. And, you know, these are huge illegal organisations that have been allowed to expand their operations to an outrageous degree and become hugely rich and sometimes with links to organised crime. So it is, a, I mean, it is scandalous what is going on there at the moment. Um, and it is pretty staggering that it is going on with the, with the consent, to a certain extent, of the most powerful man in Brazil. Hmm. I mean, I can understand that if they're getting rich off of this, they might be pretty pleased with what's being done to the Amazon. But how do ordinary Brazilians feel about it? The ones who, who don't have a stake in, in cutting down its trees and digging up its gold? Well, indigenous communities are absolutely terrified by it and have been feeling the, the, the impact um, firsthand for the last few years. But there are many in Brazil and in the Amazon, many voters who applaud him, who think that Bolsonaro is on the right side of history who think that Brazil 
needs to develop, needs to grow, needs to make money. Um, and that the, that the West has chopped down of all of its forests and frankly should just butt out. So actually some of the states in which Bolsonaro has his highest level of support are in those Amazon, Amazon states, the, the Brazilian frontier. And Tom, the kind of lawlessness that you describe in the Amazon, the fact that people are cutting down far more than they're legally allowed to, that they're going into protected areas to cut down trees and all of the violence that's come with it. Is that typical of what you're seeing elsewhere in Brazil, a sense of impunity that making money comes first? The violence has been really terrifying, frankly. I've been to the Amazon three times in the last few months. And on one of my recent trips, I met a young man who was part of a group called the Forest Guardians, a group of indigenous activists who, in the absence of any government presence, were patrolling and protecting their own land. And I was in Araribóia indigenous territory with one young man at the end of July. And a couple of weeks later, um, he was shot dead. Um, So very, very dangerous. It was always dangerous. Now it has just become so much worse. Uh, And I think, yeah, across the country in all walks of life, the, the, the same has applied. The loosening of gun laws that we've seen under Bolsonaro has put hundreds of thousands of new weapons out there on the, in the hands of often Bolsonaro, radical Bolsonaro supporters. Some of these weapons are finding their, 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 their way into the hands of organised crime. Guns fired in broad daylight. And in the middle of the night, bullets flying over slums. Everyday violence in Rio de Janeiro. That's filmed by people on the spot. There is a real atmosphere of intolerance and violence here at the moment that in 22 years visiting uh, Brazil, I have never, ever seen. I mean, that just sounds absolutely horrendous. Like, do you get a feeling of, of what Brazilians at large, I recognise it's, it's a big country and there's not going to be one opinion on things, but... Do you get a sense of what the public opinion is like about, firstly, the way that the Amazon has been degraded, but also the way that a sense of, of social order has been degraded over the past three years? Unfortunately, I think for the overwhelming majority of the electorate, the Amazon is not one of the key election issues this year. Other other things are driving it principally. The economy and the election being a referendum on this extraordinarily radical and divisive president who uh, half of Brazilians polls tell us now want to see the back of precisely because of this chaotic radical stance that he's taken on so many issues, including the Amazon. But the Amazon itself is not is not one of the key election issues. That's not what this is about. It's about Bolsonaro himself. From everything you've been describing, it sounds like it's an incredibly high stakes event for the country, but also for the world. For the past few weeks, you've been on the election trail as Bolsonaro has been trying to convince people to give him a second term. What's it been like on the ground? It is an extraordinarily important election for Brazil, for South America, for Latin America and and for the world. The presidential campaign has only just started. But many are already afraid of how it may end. 
with hundreds marching on the capital in defense of Brazilian democracy. Many people here describe it as the most important election Brazil has had since the 1980s when democracy returned after 21 years of military dictatorship. And I absolutely subscribe to that opinion. There is so much at stake um, for society, for Brazilian democracy, given that Bolsonaro has repeatedly threatened uh, democracy and said and insinuated that he won't accept the result if he doesn't like it, if he doesn't think it's clear and clean and fair. So the future of Brazil's democracy is at stake, one of the world's biggest, most populous democracies. Uh, the future of the Amazon is at stake. And I think the future of Brazilian society in the sense that so many Brazilians would like their country to go back to being a, a place, a, a less bitter, less toxic um, environment. Well, Tom, this election pits one big political figure against another. Challenging Bolsonaro for the presidency is Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva, himself a former president of Brazil. Given this atmosphere that you're telling me about, the stakes of all of this, what are the rallies like that you've been attending? What's the mood like there? On, on Lula's side... Lula's rallies have been very emotional, almost joyous and very nostalgic events where you have hundreds or thousands of supporters with flags, red shirts, uh, banners, placards. And, and they've taken to singing the national anthem, I think in a bid to claw back some of the patriotism that Bolsonaro has rather hijacked over the last few years. So it's been very common to hear the national anthem. And when you look around at people listening to their country's national anthem and the left's attempt to reclaim that symbol of, of Brazil, you see many, many teary eyes and people who are emotionally exhausted after everything that has happened over the last almost four years. What kinds of things do you hear from, from Lula's supporters? What do they say about his prospects? For some of the people you meet at these rallies, the election is literally a question of life and death. It's a matter of whether they can put food on the table. Brazil now has more than 30 million people who are struggling to feed themselves. And outside one of Lula's recent rallies, I met one of them uh, and he said to me he was desperate uh, for Lula to come back and to see the back of Bolsonaro because he needed to feed himself. Soaring food prices and inflation have really put a a massive squeeze on people here. And he said, my fridge is empty. Um, it wasn't like this in Lula's day. We need, we need to change the situation here so I can feed myself and my family. And what are the Bolsonaro rallies like? How do they compare to the atmosphere at Lula's? The, the recent Bolsonaro rally I went to on Copacabana Beach was also in a sense, joyous and confident and tens of thousands of people turned out defiantly to insist that their president was going to win this in the first round. Something polls suggest is 
frankly nonsense, but to insist they would stick by him and were sticking by him and that they would eventually prevail against the, the evil, corrupt left. But I think if you scratch the surface a bit, even though they are all denying the polls, as their president has done, Trump style, I, I, I sense they know the tables are turning and they're preparing themselves for a new era in which they are the opposition. And when you talk to people, ordinary Brazilians who are who, who voted Bolsonaro in 2018 because they were fed up with corruption, they, don't, they didn't engage much with politics, but they just wanted some kind of change. If you listen to those people now, many of them will tell you that they, they have had it up to their eyeballs and they, they might not be massive Lula fans, they might actually not like him at all, but they will vote for him on the 2nd of October in the first round just because they are so sick to the back teeth of everything that has happened and that their lives have been impacted. I mean, people, more than 685,000 Brazilians have died of COVID. Bolsonaro delayed buying the vaccines. He undermined quarantine measures. He made a joke of people who were suffocating to death in Brazilian hospitals. He didn't once visit a Brazilian hospital during the entire pandemic. People are angry, people are frustrated, and, 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 and I think that we will see that at the polls. COVID-19 has nearly toppled the country's healthcare system, and hospitals are overwhelmed by patients, and they are running out of supplies. And you, you say that that unpopularity is driven mainly by, by COVID. What else is there? If it's not the Amazon, what else is it that is driving Brazilians to, we think, reject Bolsonaro at, at this weekend's election? It's driven by the economy. It's driven by soaring food prices. It's driven by inflation. It's driven by the high cost of fuel. It's driven by... Um, real frustration at the way he handled the pandemic. It's driven also, I think, by the by the sort of rather loud-mouthed and clownish approach to governance that he has had over the last few years. Um, and the attacks on on democracy. I think people are I think people are tired of this. And I think many people just see him as just uh just an unaccept unacceptably outlandish and uncouth leader who has made an embarrassment of Brazil on the world stage and want someone, anyone, to come and, and restore Brazil's place in the world. Well, that someone, anyone, looks likely to be Lula, whose return to the presidency would be a pretty amazing thing in its own right, given that he was president before and he was banned from running against Bolsonaro last time because he was actually in jail. Once a president, now a prisoner. Luis Inácio Lula da Silva is beginning a 12-year sentence behind bars. Convicted of accepting a beachside apartment from a company seeking government contracts, he and his supporters are continuing to say he's innocent. Those charges are now seen as politically motivated and were quashed last year, clearing the way for Lula to run again. I mean, his return is almost hard to believe. And that's the other really remarkable part of this story, extraordinary. Lula first ran for elected office in 1982, so 40 years ago, and he first ran for president in 89. This is his sixth uh, presidential campaign. He's now 76, and if he is elected, he's going to be 77 by the time he takes office in January. So this is also the story of an absolutely stunning political comeback by one of Latin America's uh, greatest, uh, most successful, enduring politicians, perhaps even in the world. Um, and he does look now in pole position to win this and to secure his third term as president. 
And what has Lula said about how he would approach the Amazon and its resources? Lula has pitched himself as the anti-Bolsonaro candidate. And in terms of the Amazon, I was in Sao Paulo recently with a group of foreign correspondents who we went to see Lula. Quais são as medidas concretas que o senhor, como presidente, tomará? And I asked him what he was going to do. Contra os povos indígenas no Brasil e para... And he said, well, I'm going to stamp out illegal gold mining. I'm going to crack down on deforestation. I'm going to create a ministry for indigenous peoples. None of it's very detailed, but at least he's saying the right things, a real contrast to what we're seeing at the moment. So, um, so he is promising. To, to fight the destruction and to take, you know, take proactive steps to get deforestation under control. But Tom, given the, the forces that Bolsonaro's unleashed across the country, but especially in the Amazon, how easy is it going to be for Lula to, to put the genie back in the bottle, to, to reinstate some kind of regulations about how the forest is used? It's going to take him time and he's going to need international support. I think Lula already is talking to the international community to try and see if he can get the Amazon fund back up and running. He will need that money to get the environmental agency, Obama, working again. But it's going to take him time to find the qualified people to go and work in these organisations again. He's going to need resources to do it. And the, and the, and the scale of the problem is, is, is gigantic. I mean, it is, Lula is not going to come in and on day two of his presidency, this will all be sorted out. By, by any means, he's going to need a lot of goodwill from the international community. Um, and, and it is going to take a, a lot of effort. Coming up, what if Bolsonaro loses this weekend and doesn't leave office? starts the same way. Can I tell you a secret? It would start off with a random girl and just say, hey hun, I'm going to tell you some secret now. Please don't mention it to anybody. But it quickly escalates. It just spread like a wildfire. I still sleep with clubs next to my bed. I didn't know how far this was going to go. People seldom show their true selves online, but one man He's taken it much further. I was terrified. Who is the cyberstalker behind these messages? He actually said to me, good luck proving it's me. And why is he sending them? Because he became more and more isolated. He just went within himself even further. Do you punish someone for acting out whatever is going on in their mind that we don't understand? And if I could just turn back the clock, from The Guardian, I'm Shirin Kale, and this is Can I Tell You a Secret? A story about obsession, fear, and the lives we lead online. Listen to all episodes now. Search for Can I Tell You a Secret? wherever you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. Tom, you've alluded a couple of times to the fact that Bolsonaro has left open the possibility that 
even if he does lose this election, he might not go. How likely is that? How worried are you that at the end of the day, this election might be stolen, might, that Bolsonaro might stay in power, whatever happens in these polls? I think it's really hard to predict. I think there are extremely worrying signs. Bolsonaro's connection to Trump, um, Bolsonaro's son was in Washington in the days before January the 6th, and we know they've studied very carefully what happened there. So there are real concerns about some kind of some kind of rupture, some kind of upheaval. And, and, and there is certainly, there certainly does exist within the current administration. It's not clear to the extent to which they have power, but there, there is certainly a radical group around the president that does believe that some kind of democratic rupture, some kind of military takeover would be desirable. I think the question is, do they have the support to pull it off? And I think the answer to that question is probably, is almost certainly no. I don't think they have the overall support within the military to do that, certainly not at the top level. Uh, They certainly don't have the overwhelming support of the population to do something like that. But we just don't know. But it strikes me that if he does go peacefully and Lula comes to power, then that's a really fantastic development. Like, Brazil has come to right with Brazil has come right to the edge of potentially returning to a military government and gone the other way elected one of the continent's most progressive leaders instead and if that happens that's a pretty hopeful thing yeah i mean brazil is absolutely at a historic juncture here i was just talking a couple of minutes ago before we spoke to a former finance minister who is absolutely not a man of the left and he said to me i'm going to vote lula in the first round I think it's absolutely not ideal. I wish it was someone else. Um, He doesn't even have particularly high hopes for Lula's government, but he said he had to do it now because Brazil was facing what he called a real and present danger. And the danger was that if you get another four years of Bolsonaro, as well as all of the Amazon deforestation, as well as all the other damage that's being done, you run a real risk of a Hungary-style situation where you start to move into a very authoritarian kind of regime. And at some point, he said, there will be a rupture. Sooner or later, it will happen over the next four years if Bolsonaro is elected. So I think there are a lot of people like that who are now choosing to vote Lula, not because they they are, they are think Lula is going to be Brazil's great saviour, but because this is an emergency election and an end and you know, an end needs to be brought to, to these, on many levels, disastrous and painful four years that we've seen. Well, Tom, we're going to be following it really closely. Thanks so much for talking to us. Thank you, Mike. That was The Guardian's Latin America correspondent, Tom Phillips. Thanks so much to him. You can read all his reporting from Brazil at theguardian.com and follow the results as they come in on Sunday evening. And that is it for today. This episode was produced by Lucy Hoff. Sound design was by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producers are Phil Maynard and Homer Kalili. We'll be back Monday. (laughs) 